Good for commercials. Uh, we're going to jump into our message. And so if you want to join me in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to pray for the message for uh, today. Before we do that, we want to acknowledge the fact that this is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Memorial Day is a very important, uh, incredibly important holiday within our country. We, all, we want to acknowledge that it's not a religious holiday, so we don't acknowledge it because it has any ties to faith in that regard, but that doesn't mean it's any less important. Because it's a day for people of faith to be grateful for and to honor the thousands upon thousands of men and women who have died while in service of our country so that we have the freedoms that we do, including the freedom of religion. So we're, we are no way worshiping these individuals or our government or military or anything by saying this, but we are grateful for these men, for these women, and we should always be grateful for them. And so tomorrow, uh, whether you do it tomorrow at 3 o'clock, which I'm going to be really honest, I did not know that was a thing, uh, but at 3 o'clock, there's supposed to be a moment of silence um, on Memorial Day, uh, a, minute of mo a minute of moment of silence at 3. So whether you do it at 3 o'clock tomorrow or any time this weekend, I just want to encourage you to take a moment just to be silent, to reflect, to be grateful Pray for these families uh, of people who, are, you know, who have lost recently and just being thanking God for the country where we live. And so in that regard, we want to pray um, not only for that, but we want to pray for our message. And so let's pray together. God, we thank you so much uh, for your love for us. We thank you for uh, the fact that we can gather here together as friends, as family members, as church to be together in your presence to worship you, to open up the Bible, to hear and be encouraged. We thank you, God, for the freedom that we have to do that in this country. God, we thank you for your, your love for all of the world and all of the people of the world and the way that you work and you move in all cultures and all places. You've placed us here, and we're grateful for that. And so we're grateful for thinking about the freedoms that we have. We're grateful for the men and women who have died in service who have given their lives in these very unique ways, being asked to do things none of us are asked to do. And so, God, we pray that we're grateful for them. We pray for their families, those who are alive, um, who might be mourning this weekend. We pray for comfort and peace and pray that you would bless them in a special way. As we open up your word this morning, God, as we talk about what it means to live for you, to be followers of you in this world, God, I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would open our minds. I pray that we would hear from you that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us. I pray your word would become real, that we would hear from you in a powerful way. Spirit, that you would move in this place, that you would move wherever anybody's sitting and watching online. But God, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you for this time. In your name, amen. So we are coming to the close of our series on the Beatitudes. Um, there's actually just this week and next week, and we're going to be wrapping this up. We've been calling this the pursuit of happiness. The idea of that is that our culture focuses on a happiness that has to be earned, but is also fragile and fleeting. Jesus offers a genuine happiness, a true happiness that he gives freely, and it is a happiness that is secure and is eternal. The beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. It's these proclamations of wonderful news for those, excuse me, who follow Jesus. We've been going through them one at a time each week since Easter, asking ourselves, what is this wonderful life that Jesus has given to people? And what is it like? What does it mean to live it? And why is this good news, wonderful news for all of humankind? 
And so today we're going to be looking at the next one. Before we do, we need to say this. Our civilization knows constant conflict. Constant conflict. Kent Hughes quotes historians Will and Ariel Durant from their book, The Lessons of History, and their chapter, the Hist- uh, their chapter History and War, where they say this. War is one of the constants of history and has not diminished within civilization and democracy. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. Can you fathom that? That, this, that war is constant, constant somewhere in the world for thousands of years. We think of other... Uh, ways that our civilization is in constant conflict. In 2021, there were 700,000 divorces in the United States. A study on workplace conflict says that on average, employees in U.S. companies spend approximately 2.8 hours each week involved in conflict. Again, on average. 85% of employees experience some kind of conflict, and 29% of employees nearly are in constant conflict, the experience of constant conflict. Conflict happens in our families, conflict happens in our friendships, conflict happens in our workplaces, in our schools, in our cities, in our country, and around the world. Inevitably, it's just a reality that conflict is inevitable. It's part and parcel for life. It's going to happen. It shouldn't be a shock to us that conflict happens. However, it's the moments when there isn't resolution that there are, that, that it's the moments when there isn't resolution that are the most unfortunate, sad, and painful. Conflict happening isn't the unfortunate thing. Conflicts not being resolved are the tragic thing. Conflict is inevitable. Resolution isn't always. And that's what's tragic. And it's into that tragedy that Jesus proclaims the wonderful news. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Now, to understand this beatitude, we got to break it up into its parts. First off, what are the peacemakers? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, first off, we want to ask, what is this peace that people are making? According to Clinton Arnold, peace is, indicates completeness and wholeness in every area of life, including one's relationship with God, with neighbors, and with nations. Completeness, wholeness. Peace is shalom. We see this word in the Old Testament, and it starts and it begins, goes back to the creation counts in Genesis, which states that once God created everything, it says that he rested. Now, to say that God rested, that is not God saying that God took a nap. This is not a divine nap break in the midst of the workday. Not at all. God rested is to say that God is in control of creation, that God is at the helm of of the universe. That if God is resting, then that means things are good as they should be under his reign, the reign of his heart and his character and who he is. So in the context of this beatitude, when we talk about peace, peace is experiencing the truth of God and his character in tangible ways between people. 
It's this reality of who God is and His character and the control that He provides and the wholeness that He gives, the completeness that's because of His, Him being experienced between people. It is the peace talked about in creation experienced at the relational level between individuals or groups. And that communal aspect to this beatitude cannot be missed or minimized. It's the whole aspect of here. We're not just talking about what an individual experiences, but what happens between people. We talk about people experiencing God's mercy all the time here. We talk about people experiencing his grace, his peace, his hope. Peace is bringing all of these realities as far as who God is to the different connections between individuals. God's grace experienced between us. His mercy experienced between us. His hope experienced between us. That's what peace is. Think about all the different conflict scenarios that I just mentioned a, men- mentioned a minute ago. Bringing peace and grace and hope into our homes, into our workplaces, into our cities, into the world. Think of how the realities of the Lord would change those scenarios if God's grace and mercy and hope were present. That's what we mean by peace. And that's that's what Jesus is getting to. He is saying that following him means being a person that makes that type of peace, that brings that peace, that creates that peace in situations where it is so desperately needed. Following Jesus means being a person that makes peace. Being a follower of Jesus is someone who shares peace, brings peace, distributes peace. You are a wellspring of peace that just overflows to other people. Think about it like this. I am not, just being honest, I am not a reality TV person. It's just not my thing. I'm not judging if it's yours. It's just not mine. But regardless if you do or don't watch reality television, we're all probably pretty familiar with the different renovation shows that have been on over the years, right? You might have, may or may not have watched one, but you know what I'm talking about. There's something that's falling apart, some home that's falling apart or something like that, and people come in to make it new, to restore. Other people see hopeless wrecks in need of demolition, but the renovators see the potential the potential that's here. And they know that what can be done with some hard work and some creativity. This is what peacemakers are. Peacemakers see a connection between people that is broken. They see the state of disrepair. They see a relationship that seems hopeless, like a hopeless wreck in need of demolition. But the peacemakers can see, can see something happening there. They can see reconciliation happening. They can see that restoration is possible. They can see the potential that what can happen with these people with some hard work and creativity. In that, peacemakers are not passive. They're not just sitting back and watching. They are present and they are, they are active. They are getting into the mix of things to share the peace that they've experienced from Jesus. And that's what it all comes back to, that they are sharing the peace that they've been given. Colossians 1 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin is what destroys the relationship with God. 
God doesn't want it to be like that. He never wanted it to be like that. He made us to be in relationship with him, but our sin breaks that relationship, destroys that relationship. But Jesus' death on the cross fixes that, renovates that, restores that. He makes it where our sin gets put upon him and his righteousness gets put upon us and we are forgiven and restored. Our relationship with God goes back to the way it was meant to be. We are brought, made peace because of the blood of Jesus. He did what was necessary to make peace between us and God. And now we are ambassadors of that peace, sharing how reconciliation is possible. We know that we've been reconciled with God, so we know people can be reconciled with one another. If it's possible for us to be brought back into a right relationship with God, then it's possible for people to be brought back into a right relationship with one another. I love the three things which Pastor Kent Hughes says about peacemakers and what they do. He shares this. He says that peacemakers are honest. Peacemakers are honest. They don't ignore, they don't downplay things, they don't write things off, they don't pretend that things are okay. They willingly admit that there's a problem. This isn't how it should be. This is broken. We're at odds. I messed up. Peacemakers are honest about the reality of things. Not to be a pessimist and not to be a downer, but just this is true. This isn't working. This isn't as it should be. There's something wrong here. This is broken. Peacemakers are honest. He then says, peacemakers risk pain. Peacemakers risk pain. The idea of this being that admitting wrong isn't easy. Sharing with somebody your feelings is not easy. Confronting someone is not easy. Helping people navigate conflict is not easy. It's not easy to initiate. It's not easy to go through it. And who knows what the outcome will be? That's one of the reasons why it's so hard. And it's why people avoid conflict so much. But the difficulty and the unknown do not prevent the peacemaker from taking the risk. I mean, let's just be honest. Who here hates conflict? No one's going to put their hand up for that, right? We all hate conflict. There's a risk in conflict. It's hard. But peacemakers acknowledge the fact that it's hard. But that doesn't prevent them from taking the risk of moving toward it to help within it. Does that make sense? Peacemakers are honest. Peacemakers risk pain. And the third thing he says is that peacemakers are fighters. Peacemakers are fighters. That doesn't mean that they're promoting violence. They're not ready to throw down with people. It's kind of contrary to the entire thing we're talking about. It means that they are living what Ephesians and Romans says clearly. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Peacemakers will not give up on making peace. We'll keep trying for it. We'll keep pursuing it. We'll not give up. Peacemakers make the effort. It's very unfortunate that so many people who don't like conflict, which is all of us, Use that as the reason to put no effort into dealing with things. And how many relationships stay broken, stay fractured 
simply because somebody didn't take the risk and put the effort in to overcome the difficulty and do what's right, to try to help and try to make the effort to keep the peace, to make peace between two different people. Peacemakers make the effort. Peacemakers do what is necessary. When I think of being a peacemaker as a fighter, I think of the late Senator John Lewis. I love, he's one of, to me, the most amazing men in our recent history. And if you ever, never have read his autobiography, I highly recommend it. But at one point he said this, never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. He's getting at the heart of what it means to be his peacemaker. If something isn't the way it should be, then you move toward it and help make it right. If it's not the way that things should be going, then you move toward it, even if it means causing some trouble because you're shaking up the status quo, then do that because peace needs to happen. Things need to be made right, whether it's at the individual level, the communal level, or even national. We need to be willing to make the effort, to do the work, to make the effort, to get in good trouble, to do something in order so that people will experience peace. We are called followers of Jesus to be people that make peace. And making peace is what shows people what God is like. Making peace, being a peacemaker, shows people what God is like. It's why he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, this is a perfect example of why we have to grasp the Bible first in its cultural context in order to understand its significant in our context. There's a very specific reason why it says son of God here and not children of God. D.A. Carson explains it in this. In that culture, in Jewish thought, son often bears the meaning of partaker of the character. Partaker of the character of. In the sense, he's saying, in the Jewish thought during this time when Jesus was saying this, to be a son of God meant that you are taking on the character of the Father. You are emulating the character of the Father. You are living the character of the Father. It doesn't emphasize necessarily the connection, even though that's there. It's emphasizing what you are representing. Both children of God and son of God have a family connection. But sons of God is simply an idiom which emphasizes the character that you are representing. And if you are a follower of Jesus who makes peace, you are showing the character of God. What's, that's the point. When we make peace, when peace is brought to broken places, when you create peace in places where no one saw any hope, You are showing people what God is like. You're showing people God's character, his heart, his love for people. You and I are walking show-and-tell exhibits. Every time we make peace, we are showing and telling the people that we interact with what God is like. How we live, specifically within the idea of helping peace happen, Making peace happen between people, between conflict moments, whatever it is, when we step into those moments and make peace, we are showing people something specific about the reality of God, 
Romans 8.14 says, For all you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When you live life following Jesus, you emulate the character of Jesus. People understand what Jesus is like when we live followed by the Spirit, when we trust the ways of God, when we are obedient to what he has told us. People see the reality of God in us. Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I love this verse in the context of what we're talking about. How beautiful on the feet, uh, excuse me, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. When God's people walk into a situation, the peace shows up. Peace better show up when God's people show up because that's who we're meant to be. What wonderful news arrives when God's people walk on the scene. The good news is going to be heard and experienced when God's people walk into the room. That's how it should be. When the people who follow Jesus step into a situation where there's conflict, peace is going to be experienced. Good news is going to be proclaimed. The the peace that God exhibits in his own heart and life is going to be seen in this situation. Dallas Willard says this, the peacemakers make the list within the Beatitudes he's referring to because outside of the kingdom of God, they are, as is often said, called everything but the child of God. That is because they are always in the middle. The person that's called the peacemaker, when there's conflict between two people, that being called son of God or peacemaker is usually the last thing the two people who you're standing between call you. Because if you're standing in the middle, it means you're not taking a side. If you're standing in the middle, middle, you're not putting one person over the other. You're trying to bring restitution, reconciliation, trying to bring peace to a situation. And being in the middle between those places is where peacemakers speak honestly. The middle is where the peacemaker takes both the risks and fights for peace to take place. A peacemaker stands in the middle between two different people in conflict, trying to decipher what happened and what needs to happen, and both can think that they're on the other side. Being in the middle is difficult. A peacemaker can stand in the middle of our culture trying to promote options for the common good, but liberals will call you conservative and conservatives will call you liberal. Being in the middle is hard. The middle is a hard place to be, but it's where the Christian must stand. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus, making peace amidst broken places. D.A. Carson says, The Christian's role as peacemaker extends not only to spreading the gospel, but to lessening tensions, seeking solutions, ensuring that communication is understood. Yes, we need to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus, but we also need to be showing the peace that represents God's heart in the conflicts that we see in our city, in our country, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. The Christians should be the ones who step up proclaiming good news, but showing good news and helping people find peace. It's not easy. It takes effort. It takes risks. It means fighting for it. But wonderful news for those who did it. Wonderful news for those who are the peacemakers. You show the world what God's like. 
you make the world better. The people who are the peacemakers make this place the way God intended it to be. That's why this is such good news. That's why this is such an amazing thing, is we get to be a part of that with the Lord. If you follow Jesus, you are a peacemaker. This isn't an option. It's part of what it means to follow him. Psalm 34, 14 says this, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Hunt down peace. Search for peace. Find peace. And then go for it. This isn't just like scrolling a couple sites and like, wouldn't it be cool to do this? No, we're talking effort to make something happen, to find something, to obtain something, for something to be real. That should be our attitude about peace. And so think about that. When conflict arises, do we avoid it because we hate conflict? Or are we seeking peace and pursuing peace in the midst of the conflict? When we see conflict happening between people, do we just step back and just, oh, that's the other thing, I'm not going to get into that? Or do we at least try to step in and offer help so that peace can happen? When we see some of the turmoil happening in our city, do we watch it from afar? Or do we do what we can to step in and be part of the solutions to the problems, bringing peace to those moments? Some questions you need to think about as we think about this reality of being a peacemaker, I need to think about. Where do you need to seek and pursue peace? I mean, it's one thing just to say it, but what does it look like in your specific life? What's the broken relationship? What's the conflict that you've been avoiding? What's the thing that you justifiably tried to write off so that you don't have to move toward it to seek and pursue peace where it should be? We need to be obedient to God's word. It's very hard, but where where do you need to seek and pursue peace? peace, rather than avoiding it and justifying not doing it? What is the relationship you need to take a risk in and move toward the person for reconciliation? That's a risk. The person might not want that, but we still need to make the move and at least make the effort. What is the broken relationship you need to put effort into, fight for? Christians just don't leave people in their brokenness. We do what it takes to make peace. Remember what Isaiah 52, 7 states, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. What you need to do is you, need to, you and I need to ask God to show us where we need to bring good news and proclaim peace. I mean, he's saying, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who do this. I just got back from Israel, and there's a lot of mountains there. Running was very, very difficult. It was very hard. I tried to run every day, and it was, I did it, but it was painful. And let me tell you, it was so awesome to get back to our nice, flat city and run Friday morning. We don't have any mountains here. I know that's a newsflash for some of you. It's really flat. And so think about this verse saying this. How beautiful on the streets of Chicago are those who bring good news. And what's the streets you need to do that in? What neighborhood do you live in? What street are you on? 
And can that be said about you? How beautiful is the, I think about where I live, how beautiful is Uptown and Edgewater because of the feet of those who bring good news and proclaim peace and bring good tidings. Where's your neighborhood? What street do you live on? And are you a person pro- pro- proclaiming peace there? And th- so this might be the first morning you've ever been asked that or been challenged to think about that or any of that. And that's okay. So that's the thing. God, show me what proclaiming peace to you looks like here. Maybe there's something you can volunteer in. Maybe there's some relationships you can be a part of. Maybe there's a mentoring thing you can do. Maybe there's a school you can volunteer at. Maybe there's some... What is the thing in your community that you can come in and be a person of peace? That you can try to help make it better? Because that's what Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to make peace. Not be passive spectators, but active participants making the city better. And that should be the most convicting thing to us in the entire world. I get really passionate about our city. I get really defensive about our city. I love Chicago. I don't like hearing people dog it in a negative way, in an untruthful way. But it does have its problems. And the thing is, for those of us who live within the city, if we see the problems and we do nothing to be a part of the help to fix it, then we're part of the problem. We have no reason to complain about this city if as God's people we are not entering into it asking what does it look like to be a peacemaker in this city. Are you tracking with me here? This is what we need to be praying about. How can I be a peacemaker here? You're not going to be able to fix all of Chicago. But you have gifts and you have talents and you have passions and God has placed you in a specific building for a spe- on a specific street for a specific reason. And so how can you bring peace there? Even in a small, tangible way is better than nothing. And so let that be your prayer today. Ask God, how can I bring good news and proclaim peace? Because we want people to experience the reality of who God is. We want our city to be better because of him. We're going to end today with communion. I'm going to ask the ushers if they could pass out the elements. And um, if you've never done communion with us while they're getting things together, let me give you a couple instructions. They're going to come up and they're going to pass different trays with bread and with juice. Uh, Just go ahead and take one of each and hold on to it. And once everybody has some, we'll receive communion together. Um, there's a smaller tray in the bread tray that has gluten-free bread in it. So if you need that, um, just know that that's what that's for. Um, We always take a minute of just quiet uh, to be before the Lord before we receive communion, to prayerfully be before Him, just asking God to speak to our hearts, to challenge our hearts. This could be the time where you're prayerfully asking God, show me where I can bring good news and what that specifically looks like, where you've placed me. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you want to express gratitude. Whatever it is, we take this time and this space to do that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, communion isn't something you need to do because communion is us remembering what Jesus has done for us. If you're not following Jesus, you have nothing to remember. You have something to receive. Now is the time to begin following him. Romans says that if we can believe in our heart that Jesus raised from the dead and confess with our mouth, if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. 
I have to acknowledge the reality that he rose from the dead, dying on the cross for my sin, rising from the dead, conquering sin and death. I'm making him Lord of my life, not just part of my life, Lord of my life, but trusting with him, aligning who I am with him, receiving the life I was made to be a part of. If you're not following him, let today be the day that you begin that. If you have questions about that, you can come up and ask me while this last song is going on in a moment or after service, because that's going to be the most important decision you make in your lives. We're going to take a moment of quiet, and we'll receive communion together. So God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would challenge our hearts, that we would hear from you. Speak to us in the quiet of this moment.